Welcome along to the World Snooker Tour podcast, where every week throughout the season, I'll be joined by the biggest names in the game to bring you behind the scenes of life on the tour. And for episode number one, Judd Trump, thanks very much for joining us. Nice to be here. How's your summer been? Uh, it's been a bit stop-start, really, kind of like the snooker season this year, how it's kicked off. Um, it's still sort of all up in the air with um, travel and everything like that, so um it's been uh, a little bit difficult to, to fully enjoy my time off and, and know when we're sort of getting back into the swing of things. But it's nice to have a, a couple of events on. You talked about traveling there and that was something you did a lot of around the UK in your early days and going around with your dad to various junior events around the country. In a way, was that perhaps the most fun time of your snooker life? Yeah, I think when when you're a kid, um, you just enjoy it. And um, I've just tried to sort of re-establish that love that I had um, when you're a kid you're just playing for the fun and I've just over the past couple of years um, just just tried to kind of get those memories back and just enjoy my snooker and that's what happens I think when you're happy off the table um, it sort of transpires to on the table and, and that's when the results come and you just kind of just playing like I do in practice really and not and not care too much if you win or lose don't get too high or too low and I think that just sort of brings the best out of me you did so well as a junior that by the time you even turned pro you were probably already better known in the game than some of the guys already on the circuit but did you find those early years a bit harder than you might have expected yeah I think um as a kid when you're watching on the tv I think everyone um just has that thought that the the pockets are always going to be massive Mm -hmm. it's going to be easy to to kind of break through you watch the lower ranked players you think oh they're no good um and stuff like that so I always had the belief that I was gonna get through and, and get to the top of the rankings it maybe took a little bit longer the the standard was certainly in the middle ranks was a lot higher than I thought it would would be um and it it took a couple of games to get used to um but I, I quickly kind of got used to it but it was just it the way that the rankings worked back then, it was very tough to get up the rankings. Like you could probably jump up a lot easier nowadays. Um, I think with with the prize money rankings, it was kind of step by step going up ten or fifteen places a year um, in, until finally I got that breakthrough winning an event. Yeah, which came in China then in two thousand and eleven, and you went on from then to complete that amazing spring by getting to the final of the World Championship. It was one of those occasions, wasn't it, when I think people remember the World Championship more for the guy who was runner-up than the guy who actually won it. So were you aware of just how well-known you were becoming and how your name was becoming a real household name during that fortnight? I always had a lot of expectation on myself from the very start and the kind of the results weren't really coming, but I, I still had... I was probably putting too much expectation on myself, really, just from what I've heard and everyone expecting me to do well all the time. And I was sort of qualifying every single event and it just wasn't quite happening on the TV. I couldn't get used to the lighting and and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, something clicked in China and I was able just to sort of play my practice game. And it was sort of just like a whole weight was lifted off my shoulders. And um, I went into the World Championship probably thinking I was going to win it. and I was just able, I don't think I've ever had a, a tournament like it where I had so much belief in myself that I, I didn't think I could lose to anyone, even though I was still ranked, whatever, 16 or 20 in the world. I, I believed that I was the best. And um, that was probably one of the, the tournaments that I'll, I'll never forget, um, just how little pressure I had 
on myself um, and, and kind of felt invincible in that tournament. So with all that in mind then, bearing in mind how close you got and the fact you had a decent lead at one point in the final, even then you probably looked back on it as one that had got away from you. Um, it, was, it was one where I was so young that, to be honest, I, I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't really know what I was doing. It was still that kind of long distance match was still kind of new to me. And I think nowadays in between sessions, I'm, I'm always so careful. I always just go to my hotel room and just literally lay on the bed for however long I've got just to try and sleep or, or, or save my energy. Back in those days, I was probably... Um, I can definitely remember when I first qualified for the Crucible, sort of going out for food in between the sessions and being absolutely knackered by the time I um, got to the to, to the end of the game. Um, not as bad in that in that tournament, but still, there, there's so much that I know now that I could probably have done back then, and um, I don't I don't regret anything I did back then. It was just sort of at that point in my career I, it, it's the point where you think it's going to last forever. You're going to get to the final every single year. And it's not until you kind of, until I got back to the final, I knew how hard it is then. Mm. And it's kind of really sunk in. Um, and it, it probably, I, I, I wish I would have got to the final probably a bit older. So I was able to really take it in that little bit more. It was kind of just, I took it took it in my stride a bit too easy. And it, it was, um, yeah, I think if it was two or three years down the line, I would have won that final. Well, ladies and gentlemen, he may not have won the title, but he has been the star of this championship. Judd, how much pride do you take in the achievement of getting to this final today? To get to the final is a good achievement, but obviously I would have uh, liked to win today. But uh, John was the better player on the day. Uh, I think he played the better snooker over both days, and I think he's a deserving winner. Tell us about the atmosphere. Gracious words from a young man. Everyone embraced you, the public, the media, everyone loved you at that time. And people talked about that you liked your fast cars and they had a real partying lifestyle. I mean, was that really true? Not, not really. I, I, I just think because um, that I think it was at the point where maybe the, the prize money started to pick back up again. Back back in the 80s, 90s, snooker was on a sort of a, a level playing field with tennis, golf, that kind of thing. And, and it got left behind. Snooker struggled for a while. Um but then it was just at the point where they kind of everyone was looking for someone to sort of spearhead the next generation. It was kind of just me. So I was always into my my cars and that um, family never had that kind of money. And as a kid, whatever the Lamborghini Ferrari is always a dream of everyone's. I, I kind of think, and I was able to sort of live that out early on, get that out of my system. And it was nice to do it so young that now I'm still an age in snooker where I still around my prime or coming into my prime and I've got all that experience and all the stuff that I've learned over the past 10 or 15 years and, and able to use to my advantage over the next 15 years hopefully. There was massive expectation on you then after that because it wasn't just out of the blue you had of course won a big tournament just before Sheffield. Now for a number of years after that obviously you were always a top player and There'd be a couple of tournaments in the year where you'd hit top form and you were generally winning the tournament at least every season. But you weren't perhaps finding the consistency at that time. Do you think there's a reason for that? Um, I just just think that I just wasn't old enough. I wasn't mature enough as, as a person to, to embrace, um, take everything in and be able to put the, the work in that I do now um, to this extent and for me is taken having my brother and having him there full time to, to play 
um, to pick balls out, practice, um, and and sort of look after me, be there at tournaments. Is is taken that, and I and I wish I'd done that early on in my career. Um, but it, it's it, it costs a lot in other sport. People are top sportsmen are able to take four or five people around with them. Um, in snooker, not so much. And it was something that I thought about for a couple of years before I did it. Uh, can I afford to do that and, and stuff like that? And I just thought, in the end of the day, it's just sort of the difference between winning one final and losing a final could be the difference of having him there. And it, I think we both felt that it was sort of best for me. And it's turned out to be a sort of blessing in disguise. But if that happened 10 years before, I, th I think I'd probably have double the ranking events or at least another 10, 10 titles to my name. I, I think it, it was made that much of a difference. Um, the way I, I, I practice my attitude towards the game, it's made me love the game again. And yeah, I, I certainly think that over the, the 10 years, I could have had at least a, a tournament a year um, extra. And when you talk about loving the game again, does that mean that there was a time where you maybe fell out of love with it? Yeah, I, th I think for for large parts of my career, I, I don't really enjoy it. it. It's become tough when you when you're playing on your own every day in practice. I've never been one to really play against players either. So, um, doing well uh, and being my age in, in snooker is is not something that comes easy because most of the people in snooker are a little bit older than me, sort of ten, fifteen years, and being stuck in China and places like that on your own is someone that you don't really have anything in common with anyone else um, can get quite lonely towards the end of the tournament. And um, I think there's, there's definitely five, six, seven times where I've got to sort of the quarter semi-final and just didn't want to be there anymore. And I think that affected the way I played. I ended up losing. Um, and I think I've won quite a few tournaments in China over the past two or three years, mm -hmm. just having my brother there towards the end of the tournament, someone to chat to go for coffee with and, and that's definitely helped so you made all those changes and let's get to it then the 2019 world championship where it all really came together for you i remember after the semi-final you said i'm playing john higgins i'm gonna have to play the best snooker of my life and that's exactly what you did for two days yeah i mean coming into the the tournament the first few rounds i wasn't very good the the second round i think it was against ding i was terrible um i think i went five one in front, uh, I have no idea how. And then I honestly couldn't put a ball. I was nine, seven down. And I think I went away that night. Um, I got my friend to do something to my tip, um, just trying to do it, try anything possible to get my head right. And then when I was practicing that night, I kind of just found something. And I can't remember if I told anyone um, at that point, but deep down I knew like something had clicked. And I, and I, I for some reason, everything kind of, every emotion just left my body and I, I kind of knew I was going to win the tournament from then. Um, not really had it very often, um, that feeling, but um, it was one where I kind of played the, the rest of the tournament knowing that deep down I thought I was going to win it. We've just had the Olympics and you hear in that a lot of the track and field athletes particularly saying that it's all about trying to peak for that one big day that comes around every four years or five years, in fact, in this case. Now, what you did was you went into the biggest match of your life and you played, as I said, the best snooker, maybe that anyone's ever played over the course of a match. That must be unbelievably satisfying for a top sportsman to be in that situation and to really deliver to that extent. Yeah, it was um, it was a weird feeling because I can remember watching, the, I think it was Dave Gilbert and John Higgins in the other semi-final and 
I can remember thinking, do I want Dave Gilbert to win or John Higgins? And I think it was going close. Um, and I can remember just watching it, kind of like putting pressure on myself, thinking I want Dave Gilbert to win because he's never been there before and I would have been the favourite. And then I fell asleep during the last frame, I think. I woke up and John Higgins... It did Higgins, go on a long time. Yeah, yeah. And John Higgins had won. And now looking back, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because after what John had done to me in the final and quite a few times before, I've played probably 95% of to the best of my ability and he's beat me on a deciding frame quite a few times. And he's the only player I, I think that could have done that. And I was just so up for it. I knew I had to play absolutely amazing um, throughout the whole game. And I did from the very start and... I think he was staying with me at like five all, or I was six five down thinking I can't I can't win here and then all of a sudden from somewhere I think I played an amazing screw back shot and the game just changed after that and um, I, I literally barely missed the ball for the rest of the game. We see it so often first time world champions they struggle actually in the season that follows because the pressure is too much for them now you went completely the other way you had an even better season to follow that so why was that was it a case that you just had more belief or was it that having experienced so much success in the 18 to 19 season you were even more hungry then to have further success yeah I think just that the feeling of winning um just winning so many times winning the world championship winning the masters it's just it's a high that you you don't want to get away and I think I went away I had a month or two off but I was back practicing a month before the the China event because I wanted to win it um and I, I didn't want it to be a fluke and I've seen Mark Williams Stuart Bingham both won the world championship but they took the foot off the gas mm -hmm. a bit and kind of had a season or two of doing nothing really and I didn't want that to happen to me and um, in snooker, you can't take anything for granted. If, if you kind of go away and disrespect the game, you can't just get your confidence back like that. It, it takes years, really, to get your confidence. And I wanted to kind of push on in my career. And I felt like I was just at the age where everything was falling into place. And this is sort of my time to, if I want to be up there at the end of my career, I've got a really kick start now. It's not another century. 84 then to win a brilliant final between two authentic crowd pleasers and it's the man of the year Judd Trump who is our champion once again in Belfast he weathered several storms Ronnie O'Sullivan threw everything at him time and time again Trump responded he's the winner here at the waterfront by nine frames to seven I sense you're perhaps even a bit more willing now to speak out about things that you do have this enhanced status and reputation now and one of the things you spoke very openly about coming up to the world championship was how you feel the game is perhaps a bit stuck in the past and there's too much focus on a past era so expand on that for us if you would a little bit what exactly is it you feel that needs to change in that regard i think just the the way the the game is looked at um and the the way the game is perceived around sort of my age group um and I've been able to sort of grow up around people that aren't necessarily fans of snooker, um, where I think a lot of snooker people are in involved and friends with sort of the snooker family um, and they get lost in that. Whereas I'm able to be, be friends with people who are, are friends with sort of footballers and, and people like that and the way they're looked at, the way they're treated. I want snooker to be up there and get the recognition of the other sports because it's, it's 
definitely one of the hardest sports there is. You're early 30s, so you definitely still qualify as a young person. So what do you think is the perception outside of the inner circle of snooker among people your age and your friends who have nothing to do with the game at all? How do you think they perceive it? And if you don't feel it's in the right way, what do you think can be done to change that? There's still there's so much to do. I, I think this this shorter format could could work because you're getting quick results, quick fire. There's definitely a place. I think you've seen in other sports they're trying to quicken the format and and get a result straight away, get more action from the very start of the game. And I don't think the shootout is the right way to go. But maybe really short formats like this, where you still you're still playing snooker, you're still playing 15 reds, no no time limits and that. But you're going to get a result within sort of an hour and from the very start, sort of the, I think the public feel involved when, you know, there's going to be a quick fire result and there's loads of results. You can see a lot more games during the day. Um, and I think there should just be a lot more tournaments like this and, and different kind of takes on, on snooker. And um, it, it's good, good to see them trying. It was funny, actually, the way it went that you we're also critical of some aspects of the TV coverage and that some of the players are stuck too much in the past, that then the BBC said to you, all right, well, here's a microphone, you go and see what you can do. And I think everyone agrees you did really, really well, and it was great to hear you commentating on the World Championship final. How did you feel it all went? I, f I felt like it went okay, actually. I, I did quite enjoy it, and it was nice to, to get sort of a behind-the-scenes and, and see all the work that goes into it, um, all the preparation. And yeah, I, I just felt that um, some of some of the work just seems a, a bit in, in the past now, I think, and sort of the graphics and, and, and stuff like that on TV presentation can kind of come along a little bit and um, there needs to be more sort of an analysis with the players after the game, even if it's using the TV and, and stuff like that, just to get different kind of points of view is always kind of just the same stuff, the same questions after the game. And to be honest, no, no one really cares enough anymore. They want to know what's going through the player's head when he played that shot and stuff like that. So they can kind of feed off that and, and try and learn um, at home to, to take to take in for when they play themselves. And I know during the World Championship or during the big events, everyone wants to play snooker um, because the top players make it look so easy and they want to go and have a try for themselves. So I think getting more analysis from them on how they played shots and rather than just the sort of generic questions of uh, how do you think you played and stuff like that. Yeah, you talk about making it look easy. And I have to say, as someone who's played snooker pretty badly all his life, it's really annoying watching you sometimes and the shots you're able to play. It's just sickening, really, that someone can be that good. A lot of people compare some of the shots you played to the shots Jimmy was playing back in the 80s. I think the big difference is Jimmy used to play those when the frame was well won and he was on 80 or 90. You play a lot of those shots when the frame is still very much alive. But the fact is, you get a very high percentage of them. So it's the right shot to play. Yeah. For me, I, I, I kind of... I, get, I don't expect to miss anything. So I don't, at the start of my career, I was probably thinking... I was, I was worried about maybe what the commentators would say if I did miss it. And then you get to a point and you just don't care anymore. Well, I don't. Anyway, what anyone says, I kind of... I've done everything that I need to doing the game to prove that I'm I'm a good player I'm a top player and now I just want to go in and, and play what the shot that I think is might not be the right shot but there's certain points where maybe 
I'm three, two down. Things aren't quite going my way. I think the game's going a little bit slowly. And I think if I pot this, then it's going to change the whole game. So there's just certain certain times in the game that you just know that if, if you if you produce something special, the crowd are going to get behind you. Um, and it's, it's certainly something that I try and use to my advantage, just getting the crowd on your side. I think when you pot like that and you get a, a gasp or just something inside me fires up and then I'm able to sort of find something from then on. And the prime example recently was a shot I played against John Higgins in Northern Ireland. Um, when I think I played up the table with the Czech side or run inside, I can't remember which. And I come down and got the cannon and went on to win the game um, from that one shot. And before that, the standard was pretty poor. People make comparisons also between you and Ronnie O'Sullivan for obvious reasons. You've got a very similar style of game. He's going to be 46 this year and... It sort of seems to be assumed that when Ronnie is no longer playing at the highest level, you'll sort of step into that role as the crowd favourite. But I think you have designs on taking that role now, and perhaps to some extent you already have in the game that you're the crowd pleaser now and that you're the one they all want to come and watch. It's, it's a tough one because, yeah, I've I've got so much respect for him, and every time I play him is is always a special occasion. To be honest, I, th- I think if he if he wants to to play, he can play to till he wants to. Really, I think he's he's that good. Um, the way he doesn't enter every event as well is only beneficial for him. Um, he keeps the the public on their toes. He keeps them wanting more and more. He doesn't he doesn't give you too much in one go. So, um, just as you think he's sort of getting a bit bored of snooker, he'll take he'll take that torment off. He'll enter it. He'll pull out. He knows he's not ready. Um, and I think he's very clever in that way. Um, he'll always be the the crowd favourite just for how easy he makes the the game look. I, I think John Higgins for me is is up there with him, but Ronnie just makes it look so easy, and I think that's what annoys the 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 viewing public because he kind of looks invincible um, at, at times. And I think when he doesn't win, he, he makes it look that easy that they always think he's not trying. Mm. So it's He's built up this image of that he can't be beat, um, and it adds a lot of pressure to yourself, I think. And over the past two or three years, when you keep winning events, you kind of see what he's been through. I do for the the past fifteen years, the expectation he's had on himself. So I just think he knows when he's not ready um, to to give it his all, and he'll skip the events. For me, he kind of goes on to whenever he wants to stop playing, he'll he'll stop playing. But he's good enough to be top sixteen, probably at least another 10, 10 years for me. He's someone you know pretty well. You've practiced together, I think, a lot mm. over the years. Someone you know even better is Jack Lasowski. I think the two of you have been great for each other because I think you're very similar personalities and I think you've driven each other on a lot because you've both had the best results of your career over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, it, it's, it's nice to, to have someone kind of that I've grown up with um, and we've got quite a lot in common off the table. Nice to have someone there doing well at the business end of events and I certainly think um, we were a bit unlucky to play each other so much in the final last year um, and he's obviously still waiting for his first first win but if he keeps putting himself in three or four finals a year he's going to come very quickly and as soon as he gets that first one under his under his belt I, I do believe that it will be kind of similar to what, what I did and just that belief will take him to that next level and I think the benefit he's got is he's already kind of 30 years old um, and he'll be able to know how, how much he's put in to get to that position rather than when I come through, I still kind of took it a little bit for granted. So 
hopefully for his sake he can kind of knuckle down over his next season get that win like Dave Gilbert did and and kick on um, because I'd, I'd love to be able to sort of be rivals with him for the next sort of mm-hmm. 10 years. Yeah, and you did some of the BBC stuff with him, actually, at the Crucible this year. I think the two of you are great for the game. You're both really nice young men. I think great role models, both good-looking lads, and you've achieved a lot in the game, and you're going to be around for a long time. Do you think, going back to what we were talking about earlier, that more should be made of that, and that you guys should be out front and centre a lot more and being used by the people promoting the game to enhance its image, particularly among people in your age group? Yeah, because I, I was quite surprised with the feedback that that we had. Um, every every literally every comment on social media was positive, and that's so rare nowadays to get that kind of feedback. And when we were together, I think because we know each other so well, and I kind of don't have that 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 bond with any of the other players, um, and especially sort of the older older players in the studio, that we were able to just to feed off each other and and have fun with what we're doing rather than make it look like work kind of thing. And I think just people seeing us be able to sort of smile and enjoy what we're doing and I think is kind of, it is infectious really. When you see people enjoying what they're doing, it kind of pays off. And I think that we were able to kind of entice sort of new fans and different people that wouldn't generally watch snooker or or probably didn't think that we'd be any good at doing it. And I think for for me and him, we don't want to, for it to get in the way of our snooker, our snooker mm-hmm. is the, the the main focus, obviously. But if ever we're we're at an event or we can try and help promote snooker, um, it's kind of our number one job. Because if we're going to sit there and, and moan that everything isn't perfect, then we need to do something about it from sort of the bottom level. And I certainly think that that me and him together can sort of really push. And both of you are still, even at this stage, among the youngest players, actually, in the top 16. You also always seem to be one of the fittest. You seem to be in great physical shape. Do you spend a lot of time working on that sort of thing? Is it just a natural thing you have? No, um, I think as you get older, you do naturally put a bit weight, a bit more weight on. And I kind of You haven't got to that, that stage no, yet, Joe, don't worry. I haven't got to that. But um, no, I, I always try and, because I always seem to, to go away every year, I always try and keep myself in in reasonable shape and my brother um absolutely loves going to the gym so he kind of has to drag me there every day and I kind of go with him because I'm I'm so competitive in myself that I can't really stand to see someone else go to the gym and me sit at home so it's just kind of my my attitude um in in life that I don't ever want anyone to be better than me at anything really so um it's just it's good for me because I think it does obviously keep you in shape. And as you get older, you realize that you don't want to be overweight playing on TV, especially with social media nowadays. You've got to try and keep yourself as, as perfect as possible. Um, and for me, that, that definitely helps off the table. And we were talking earlier about the recognition of your achievements and recognition of what the sport has to offer in the wider community. But you have indicated at times that you feel maybe you personally haven't got the recognition you deserve from some people in the game. What sort of thing are you talking about there? Um, but yeah, it's it's a hard one because I, I think some of my achievements over the past two or three years have been um, sort of, it's, it's only ever, only one person, no one's ever sort of won six events in a year. Then the following year, I've followed up with five events. The year before I won the Masters, the World Championship and another couple of events. And there's always sort of that comparison with sort of, Ronnie or or the world champion who's the best in the world but for me I don't think you can compare someone that's won the world championship to someone that's 
won six events in a year that no one's ever done before, five events in a year. That's the, the standout player. If, so, if somebody come up to me and said, you won the world championship, Mark Selby's won six, seven events. Who, who Do you think you're the best in the world? No, for me, Mark Selby would be the best in the world because he's shown it on a consistent level. The world championship is a special event, but it's only one event. And for me, it gets too much recognition um, just because of the prize money. Um, in a dream scenario, there would be sort of three or four events on that kind of kind of level, um, that kind of prize money, because it, it's, it's kind of too lopsided because the world champion is, is always going to be number one, really. And, and for me, be able to prevent that over the, the, the last two years is kind of literally an impossible task. So you have the possibility now, at the rate you're going, to become the biggest ever winner of ranking titles. If you keep going at this rate, it's going to happen in the next few years. Given the choice between that and winning a few more world titles, it sounds to me like you would rather have the overall consistency and get the ranking titles record. Yeah, I think at the end, a snooker player is happy when he's winning. And for me, if I'm winning to say five world championships or 50 ranking events or five world championships, only 25 ranking events and 50 ranking events, but only two or three world championships, I'd take the 50 events because I'd rather be winning week in, week out than going six months without winning an event every time. I'd rather just every month, oh, judge one again, judge one again. It shows the consistency. I think when you're winning one or two events, it's, it's not easy, but you're always going to have a good spell during a, a year-long season where you come into some kind of form. So I just think being able to, nowadays with the, the people around and um, just bringing up Ronnie again, he didn't win an event last year. Um, and that just shows how hard it is to win events. So for me to win five events last year and six the year before, I think just goes a little bit unnoticed. So that's where you're at now, really, isn't it? You've been world champion, you've won the Masters, you've won the UK, you've been world number one for a long time, you've made a fortune out of the game. Now, I guess, from here on in, it's all about just building that legacy as much as you possibly can. And from that point of view, you just go after everything and you want to do well in every tournament and take a relentless approach. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I don't care anymore. If I turn up to an event, I want to win it. Um, and if I if I don't feel like I'm ready or if I don't want to be there 100%, I want to enter the event. And in the past, I've probably been guilty of turn up events that I don't want to be at just for the sake of it. And I think it's something that as you get older, you kind of realize you take on that you there's no point making yourself unhappy to to maybe nick an event. If you go there 100% in your own mind, then you've got a lot better chance. So for me, it's, it's, it's not about what event it is nowadays. It's just trying to win every single event as many times as possible and and hopefully get to sort of do what I've done over the past couple of years. It's probably not achievable to do that every year, but I'll, I'll certainly be giving it my best shot. It's been mentioned a number of times recently, particularly with all the success you've had in the last three seasons. Is Judd Trump now an all-time great? Do you pay any attention to conversations like that? Is it important to you that everyone recognises you in that category? No, I, I, I think I'd, I'd like to be judged when my career's over. I, th I think it's, it's so hard to for me to compare other players and, and, and people would kind of are always going to do that. Um, 
but you can't compare someone this sort of 31 to someone this the 46 this this fifth anything can happen in 15 years so I can't compare myself to Ronnie or, or or John Higgins. You can compare me to people my own age, and you can compare John Higgins to Ronnie O'Sullivan, because they're, they're similar ages and they grew up at similar times. And for me, I, I just want to sort of not be left alone, but just judge me at the end of my career, and I'll, I'll be giving it my best shot to to win as many events as possible. If I don't win seven world titles, I'm not going to be disappointed because I've known that I've given my absolute all for my whole career but the, the last three or four years I've done every single thing I possibly can and, and no stone's been sort of unturned to to get the best out of myself. And you don't necessarily have to be the man who's won the most world titles to be seen as the greatest ever. In fact at the moment most people say O'Sullivan's the greatest ever and he doesn't have the record. You can see perceptions of greatness elsewhere. Lionel Messi has never won the World Cup but people still say he's mm-hmm. the greatest footballer ever. So with that in mind do you feel it's possible that by the end of your career people could be putting you in that conversation along with O'Sullivan and Hendry and saying, is Judd the greatest player of all time? Is that the ambition? Not not really for me. I think, um, to me, I'd, I'd, I'd want to be sort of known as the the person that sort of played with a, a smile on their face, give it their best the, the whole time, but was able to bring sort of a new fan base in and play the different shots that no one else was playing and, and play with freedom um, and not look like they're under pressure uh, and just played it as they would in practice and as if they were a kid again. And, and for me, that's about going out there, playing my shots, enjoying myself, not not worrying about the result or what other people think, but just playing the game how I would as, as a kid, as if nobody was watching. Well, it's been fantastic watching you, as we've had the opportunity to do over the years. It's been great following your career, and we all know there's a very long way to go in it. So we look forward with interest to seeing how it all unfolds. And thanks so much, Judd, for your time and your insights today. Thank you. Next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast, Dave Gilbert will be telling me how it feels to become a ranking event winner at last, and also remembering his famous run to the World Championship semi-finals in 2019. I think I won £100,000 for that semi and once again, mate, I'd have gave you every penny back to have got the chance to have walked out the next day for that final. It was the best experience of my life at uh, them two weeks. Um, of course, I wish I won that extra frame. Of course I do. And have a chance to play for the world final. But anybody that has a run there that isn't expected to will know exactly what I mean, you know. And uh, once again, you know, people always oh, lost another deciding frame. But if you look what actually happened to me, getting a kick when you're absolutely plumbing the balls and felt fantastic, you know, it's like uh, sometimes it's just not meant to be. I don't know. I try not to think that way. But I've seen other players play a lot worse and uh, come out on top, you know. Um it was a brilliant adventure, brilliant for me and my friends. You know, they, they were there with, with me for the 14, 15 days and we had a great time. So that's coming up next week on the World Snooker Tour podcast. Until then, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.